welcome to another episode of Relative Pitch. We really hope you guys enjoyed our GMEA recording last week. It was such an amazing experience getting to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But we just wanted to first of all say happy Black History Month. It's our time to celebrate not only Black history, but specifically Black music, especially the ones that we, or the music that we never got to hear for a lot of reasons that we'll also discuss later on. Um, But hopping back to GMEA, this was, I think, an experience that we didn't know exactly how we would feel afterwards. Um, And I will have to say, like, there's been a lot of reflection going on, a lot of things that, you know, people have been telling us from the session that we've been thinking about a lot. And I mean, what did you guys, what did you guys take away from GMEA? The choirs were amazing. Well, yes, that. Um, I really heard some great performances, um, but um, specifically to our GMEA presentation, um, there were people in the room and there were also people who were not in the room who hey. should have been there. Mm, I'll take it there. I will take it there. Um, and, you know, also, because uh, we, were, we were talking, uh, the fine arts coordinator should have been there. There were some. There were some. There was some. There's two. Yeah. Yeah. There were some in there. Um, there your high priority or high whatever you want to call them, uh, teachers in the field should have been there because uh your students are probably feeling the ways that we talked about in our session. They probably feel that way, and you probably don't even know how to handle that. So mm, should have been there. But guess what? For you. It is now on our YouTube video. You might want to check the link in the back so that you can go back and see because a lot of knowledge was really talked about. I just want to publicly say to our panelists that was on um, our session, thank you so much for being there. Uh, The amount of knowledge from um, Dr. Cynthia Justin Turner, Sheldon Frazier, uh, uh, Cecilia Clark, Walton Gustama, just amazing. they really brought the house down. And I'm just so glad that they were available to do this with us. Um, but if you did miss it, you missed a gym. Um, I was, yeah. we were just walking around the convention center and, and people were coming up and just like, that was needed. Um, we really needed to talk about this and we still need to talk about this. And so we will not, we are not done talking about these situations. Um, I think Lauren actually said it at the end, you know, this is not the beginning, nor it, are we at the end, nor are we at the middle. So we we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. Um, but since we're in Black History Month, I do wanna uh, talk about something that I noticed, but I, I haven't really said it. And it was when I was listening to the choir concerts that were by far amazing. Um, I'm used to going to choir concerts and always hearing a spiritual at the end of the conference or their, their, uh, their part. Um, and which, of course, majority of the time that was uh, tokenized and just given as being the the fun piece, the closer. Um, but this year, I didn't really hear a lot of spirituals at all. So my question is, are we scared now? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. But then other people are still just going to some people are scared to do it and then some people are still going to do it but not like change anything mm. they're like oh i'm not going to be scared but also you know, i'm just going to keep doing it like the way i was doing it 
Correct. Because I'm like, I've, I've been going to these concerts for a while now. And every year, almost every choir will end with the spiritual. Always end with the spiritual because it's the fun piece, the one that goes down. And this year I was like, well, there's no spiritual. So we went from one no-go of like just tokenizing it and not giving us full just due to the other side of a no, which is let's not even perform it because I'm too scared to do the background and I don't know how to have these conversations with my students. I think there was, wasn't there one choir who did one? What? Well, yeah, Georgia State University. Just one. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was the only one I realized because I didn't I didn't stay in the band concerts. I mean, I, I went to the choir concerts. That's how I always do GMEA. I don't go to the band concerts. But why were we at 845 in the morning? I'm still thinking about this. No, I mean, there, there's a lot of, with when it comes to all of this stuff we're talking about, so all this DEI, people, they're, they read it online, and then they're like, oh, should I not be, should I not be programming spirituals for my kids? Like, should I not, what should I be doing it? And then this is a problem, is they get scared, and then they just stop doing it all together. And it's like, no, what we're saying is absolutely do it, but do your research before and actually respect the process of pre like presenting the music like you would present Mozart or Beethoven or Strauss. You know what I mean? Like take time to do it. Um, it's the intention behind it and obviously the, the thought and effort put behind it to present that music. So it's not saying just don't do it because it makes sense that we just saw no one besides one group, at least that we went and saw do it. Um, but yeah, it's just, you're still not being a good educator because no. you now aren't not exposing, your, right. You're not exposing your kids to this music. And then 20 years from now, if we continue that same trend. That music will be gone. They, and I, and I taught a, a, a little black history lesson this week to my choir. Um, and we talked about, um, spirituals and I asked him, I said, the reason why we have spirituals are people like Harry T. Burley, William Dawson, who heard these pieces, wrote them down, and now they're in our repertoire. Um, but think about music, not just Black music, but think about in your own cultures, where there is uh, Latin music or, or um, uh, Asian or European or whatever, wherever you're from, that music has been lost throughout time because people stop performing it or stop doing it. Think about all of that music that is not, like, we don't know anything about it because it's, it's, nobody does it anymore. So if we stop doing that now because we're too scared. What are our kids going to be? What are they? They won't even know what a spiritual is. Well, they're nope. going to teach repertoire that they've been taught because that's what they're comfortable with is what's going to happen. So the cycle is just going to continue and continue and continue because, I mean, isn't that how it goes? People think, well, you don't teach how you were taught, don't you? A little bit. Doesn't it influence it at least just a little bit? Absolutely. Right? Like... If you think about it, it is your complete identity as a teacher. If you don't like think about how you teach and stuff, you start teaching like how you were taught. Like, oh, I'm going to do this, this, that, and the other. You have to be very conscious of it. Con conscience? Con conscious. Conscious, yeah. yeah. But 
I, um, I mean, and it makes sense too, because I mean, you, you're saying that and then think about how when teachers are super overwhelmed or there's too much going, they're too stressed. It's like you go into like saver mode, right? So you're just whatever is like your right, just basic fundamentals of what you have, you just go into that mode. So if that mode is literally just what you have been taught in the past, that is what you're teaching. And honestly, I can't blame them because right now the te- first of all, the teacher shortage crazy. Um, the amount of people leaving the profession crazy and these teachers have no they're just overworked they're stressed and they have nothing left in them they're like they they, they're almost like i'm just running on fumes at this point so i it's when you when you're not treating your teachers right your students are never going to have the fullest education they have they can have at all because their teachers are done they're drained they don't have extra time to go home and put together a black history like uh, lesson for your kids every every day that week, even though they want to, they're like, I am so drained that I can't even think about doing, or they can't do it right. And so then they go, I'm not gonna do it at all. If I can't do it right, I'm not gonna do it at all. And it's just, it hurts everybody that it affects. Um, so I just wanted to point that out because I also understand how much teachers are going through um, mm-hmm. at the moment. And while they do have a choice to make, to, you know what I mean? To like, you can prioritize things, but at the same time, if you're running on zero, you're running on zero and that's it. I agree. And which, when, still, you still have to do your work. Um, and you just gotta get it, get out of your comfort zone. Um, I understand that you might feel like you've been big counsel, mm, live in that, live in that because then you might do something correct. So really get up in there, but don't take the easy way out. Don't take the easy way out because when you do that, you might as hit, please resign, please resign. I'm sorry, go ahead. Like you're not doing your job anymore. You're not being an educator. You're not being a teacher, please leave. And I will say taking the easy way out, a lot of people took that easy way out by not coming to our 845 session. I will have to say, I will have to say, I get it. Oh, wait, continue. I was, so 845 is early, right? To me as a performer who I don't like to play before 10 a.m., 845 is early for me. But educators, you telling me that you're not used to being up by 845, I smell something. I smell something in the air. I get it. I do, do. in my heart of hearts, my little, I want to sleep in, like very late heart, I get it. But at the same time, you could have gotten up for that if it was important enough for you. I, I believe that. I also think the people who went to the concert at the same time, who didn't come over right away after, you could have. I saw people walk in. I was happy they walked in, even if it was for five minutes. Yeah, that's the whole thing. There was a significant school. There was a significant school playing um, at the same time as our session which we had definitely made comments about already. Um, which again, like, why would you do that? I'm just, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Why, like, why, whenever you have something that, if you're saying that we really want applications that center around this and not all this year, why would you put it at that time that's also competing with this other gigantic school? You know what I mean? Like, pro- this is why we talk about programming so much and order of programming, because order of programming scheduling for conferences are just as important as who you choose to to program and who you choose to allow to schedule in in your schedule or who you allow to present in your schedule. That's why administrators are a part of this talk too. 
anyone who is not just, I mean, educators, absolutely for programming, but also administrators who get to choose where, when, how, who, all that stuff need to be a part of this conversation as well. Because they affect, if anything, I think they affect us more than we even think. Like administrators, you should just slot, like fly under the radar and just go, oh, those are just people. They don't, they don't know music. They don't understand what's going on. Now they do. Because most of those people who are in those positions aren't just a bub off the street who, who, you know, who's just a business person or an administration person. These are people who are actually in music or in the arts and they know they should know, they should know better. I'll say that they should know better. Whether they do or not, whether they do and they just ignore it is a whole other story. So my take would be number one, GMEA, uh, putting such a session that on paper, you talk about a lot and not just GMA, but literally music education in general, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, woo, woo, woo. At, uh, at a time like that, where you know it might not be the most uh, uh, attended presentation, even though it has the probably the most value of any session, shame on you. Mm. Absolute shame on you. Um, and I'm and my mind you, our session was not like the room was big, the room was big like it was there was people there. Don't get it twisted. People there were people there. In every section. Yeah, right. Every and it was it was pretty packed. So don't get it twisted. It's not like we're we're saying that. But what I'm saying is, uh, there would have been better times where co competition did not have to happen. But also, I want to take something another stab at Jimmy. You accepted a presentation that literally said a, a white woman teaching black students that that was that was the topic of discussion that is what i read on the session uh, on that the session the title in the book. yeah printed in the book. the book first of all the title in itself mm white teacher teaching black students wow are we in jim crow are we in slavery times it was because it, that's what that read but also when you read you will find out that the students that this person was speaking about are black students who come from a performing arts school. So how are you gonna tell me how to teach black students who are from an inner city, low, uh, very high poverty school? Please answer that. But you, GMEA, accepted that presentation, put it at a, a, a well time to be attended. Also, it's, it has the the another buzzword in it, maybe uh, safe space. Mm. Oh, maybe maybe that. But like also, if we look at we look at this, there was what two or three um, DEI uh, sessions after ours. Three, three that more day? that I know of. Three more that I know of. Yeah. So that was just our day, and uh, I will tell you, the the panel did not look like our panel did. No panel looked like our panel did. Every no other DEI panel looked very less melanated. It looked tokenized, is what it looked. Or, or if it wasn't tokenized, it was just no, nothing. It was right. Boring. I wouldn't even say tokenized because there was no token there. None. Come on. 
let's call a spade a spade. There was none. No, not not at all. We 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 uh yeah. It was it was a very interesting um how are you going organization to when we had to be up at Ooh. April. Also, there was a session at what did he say, two or three o'clock that had no one in the room at all. Person, one person. One. Yeah. It was a high school student because they were part of the education track. That was the only person in the room at a session at like two or three o'clock. But I just want to go back a second because my thing is, we talked about this before when we were talking about people would go into different uh, communities and different cultures and then come back and present sessions Mm -hmm. and they are regarded like, oh my gosh, you've done the best work because you went in and probably eight out of 10 times, they don't even know what, what the hell they're really talking about. But because they went in there and they studied studied for two weeks or something, they know all in all. So when I see a session that is talk about diversity, equity, inclusion of Black students, of Latin students, or any POC students, and all I see is nothing but white people giving this session, do you know what the hell you were talking about? They don't. Where's your allyship? Why don't you Ooh. invite somebody to the table? They're being allies by talking about it, presenting no. on in it. In white spaces, of course. Let, let's call let's be, call a spade a spade. Who uh, who is the majority that attends these conferences? You or know what? They're ones who has the ability. They're mm-hmm. making a safe space for their own people. If you think about it that way. Because a session about DEI presented by a non-POC is going to be drastically different than a DEI session presented by POC. Because I promise you, our, the, the differences between what was happening in our room and happening in those rooms, energy was different. I can promise you that. Energy was completely different. And they probably walked out feeling better about themselves <laughs> walking out of those rooms. We're not saying these DEI sessions should make you feel crappy about yourselves it should make you think you should leave there with your head your brain everything just spinning things that you never felt like could move are moving cobwebs are being brushed off if you're leaving a session like that and you feel like you're not taking anything away but except for i feel like i'm doing a great job bye bye and also safe space so another thing so going back to safe space you cannot guarantee anyone a safe space especially in a setting where there are uncontrolled variables. I will say that again. You cannot guarantee a safe space for anyone when you have, there are variables in the room or in the situation that are out of your control. So when you're in a classroom as a teacher, as much as you can try to make a safe space for your POC students, your LGBTQ students, your disabled students, you can't help what another student says out of their mouth. You can also not help what other another teacher could come in that room, another administrator can come in that room saying. What you can do is guarantee that with you and just you, you can guarantee that. So stop saying that. Stop saying safe space spaces. I can guarantee that when you walk in these walls, no, you can't. What you can say is I can guarantee that if anyone tries or attempts to break this this boundary of this sacred peace we have in here, I will shut it down. And that is what you can say. So I just wanted to point that out because there have been a lot of situations where teachers have guaranteed safe spaces and I have not felt safe at all at all and i can promise you those kids are feeling the same way when one of their friends says a word that they're like i haven't heard that word in a while like especially from a student's mouth or from administrator's mouth 
Like, I get it. I get the notion of it. But you have to understand, we can't control anyone but ourselves. That's it. Even the student, other students you say you influence, I'm sure you do. But you never know what's going on at home for them. You never know the other people they're hanging out with who can influence them to say those things. Just wanted to point that out. It's Black History Month. I know people are going to be using that word a lot in their education, in their rooms. Think about it before you say it. Ooh, and can we also stop saying this? For, this to white people. Sorry. It's to y'all. Stop saying, oh, I got a Black woman living inside of my body. I, it makes me want to throw... Because I'm like, yeah, you have it in, you say you have it inside of you. I live this. Ooh. I live this. This is who I am. So the whole, I'm a sassy black woman, independent black woman. That's Ooh. not, oh, I almost cussed. That's not cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cute. And the amount of time, I'm sorry, y'all, but the amount of times I've heard people say, I feel like I'm an independent black. What are you even talking about? What are you even talking about? They they saw, they heard it on a song. It's just aggravating. And well, what you need to do, number one, I, I understand that you try you trying to to establish a connection between you and I, um, but that's how you really stop a connection, okay? Because number one, you would never ever be a black woman or a black man or black whatever. You're not. You do not know what I go through, what Lauren might go through. Never will. You won't. You don't understand. But what you can do, you can ask how I am and listen genuinely. That's all you really need to do. But other than that, stop right there because you don't know what the hell, again, you're talking about. Or you can just be yourself and not try to throw a label that you are something else that you're not. Mm. Just be who you are. But some people, that is who they are. They really believe that they are that. Mm -mm. Or they want to believe it. And they want it to be true. And then if they if they stepped a... Oh, I thought Anthony was frozen too. If they stepped a foot in y'all's life, they would, they, they, would, they, would, they would leave the first day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm just like, you know what? You're not. Just stop. And stop saying this to kids. Stop saying this because you don't know. That goes back to my same thing with this, this lady. And I don't know her. I have not talked to her. So somebody coming up in the comments is like, did you talk to her? Did you go to the session? No, I, I did not. To. I don't need I want to. to. I, I read enough. I read enough. And as a Black person, I can feel that way. I'm, and I'm also sick of y'all trying to tell me how to feel, too. That, oh Let, let's God. stop that. Or tell that. you that you have to go through a step-by-step -step process Ooh. to feel the way you are. We started Black History Month off well. Let's stop go. telling me how to feel. You don't know. You also, don't stop know. telling us how to, how to accept apologies or to accept Ooh. apologies that we know, we know they would have never have apologized for if they didn't get called out for it. I don't have to. I won't, actually. I won't. Oh, and another thing. This might get a little personal. If it is, it is well known that you have said something out of pocket and I see you in, in, a, in a place and you pretend like nothing has happened. Oof. Don't worry, the right, the right people know about it. If you feel like you got away with that and you're just riding low and it's fine and you feel safe and you feel controlled, I hope this scares you. 
I hope it scares hope you. It there, well. your spirit. I hope it scares you. I hope your spirit is burning right now because I know mine is right now because it's, it's it's on go. It, it is on go. Okay. Y'all Just are gonna talk. learn to stop saying this wild stuff. Stop. You're gonna you're gonna learn. You are I don't gonna know when, learn. but you're gonna learn. You're gonna learn. Cause let me just tell you, in, in this month of Black History, unapologetic, unapologetic. First of all, all the rest 365 days of the year, I'm living unapologetic. But especially in this month, if it's given anti-Black, it's gone. Bye. It's gone. You better stop playing with me. <laughs> y'all, better, y'all better stop playing with me. I will have you jobless and gone. Do not gone. play with me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, it's but it's good seeing the work that our people are doing out here. And especially when we can go look back at where we came from to see them fighting the fight. Um, I'm specifically talking about KSU, the Black Musicians Coalition. First of all, before I get into this, never would I have ever expected to see a Black Musicians Coalition at that school. Mm-hmm. Ever. Ever. Because some people would have, and I know, some people would have asked, why would you need that? What's the purpose of a Black Musicians Coalition? At a I know why. one person in particular. Oh, no, many people in particular. No, it's many people. I'm just people in, in charge. People in charge. Not the administrators. Not the, the, the administrators. And the, again, like I said, administration has more pull and more influence than they, than they, we, they let on. But I will have to say this coalition that is being made is a great step in their direction but i'm not giving the flowers to admin admin. i'm giving this to the students because Um, this is student pushed they were in they were in those rooms fighting in those rooms and we and we also need to talk about that when you as an ally are Mm -hmm. in these rooms behind closed doors you need to open that door and make sure a person of color is in that room as well and leave it open see Right. Leave it up where they can have a seat at the table permanently, not have an invited seat. Mm-hmm. They have a seat. They have a say. They can say stuff. And the thing about it is, like, like shout out to them because they're doing the blueprint, hashtag the Black Awakening um, this year, which is going to be their Black History Month celebration. This is, y'all, this is this year, February 11th, 2022. I believe that's Friday um, at 8 p.m., open as a 31 good person if we're in the Kennesaw at Metro Atlanta area it's free to attend at, it's at Morgan Concert Hall on campus um no in-person reservation is required also I believe there's also going to be a link um to virtual tickets as well so go in there go online go to Facebook to just type in KSU Black Musicians Coalition um and, and go find them if you want to attend if I were there I would be there but you best believe I would be watching it and I'll be supporting because mm-hmm. seeing seeing students who are younger than us who are doing this, it's sh- it's showing you it's getting further and further. It's going backwards now. It's like the the in terms of they're wanting they want to do stuff as early as they possibly can, and to put on an entire black entire Black History Month celebration like this is work. Work. And they knew that their institution wasn't going to give this to them. So what did they do? They made it themselves. Flowers to y'all. BNC. They didn't care about having to see that y'all table. Mm. They made it the most. Made their own. So that's a mood. A mood. They pushed it through all the red tape that the university probably tried to get them on. Oh, absolutely. It shouldn't be up in the first place. And I and I, I, I know these 
these uh, lovely people um, mm -hmm. very well. They were little freshmen when I was a, a, a senior at KSU. Um, and just to see the powerful Black individuals that they have just grown into, I am just so proud of them. And I cannot wait to see this concert. Their last year concert was amazing. So I know that they're going to just outdo themselves this year. I'm so proud of them and so just happy to call them my friends because these are the people who are going to be in charge yes. coming up and I'm so happy for that um and so for them please kudos to y'all wow. and wow. if anybody is in that area that is listening to this podcast this is going to come out on Wednesday and in two days will be the performance get your behinds in them seats so at the Morgan concert hall on Kennesaw State University campus eight o'clock be there because it's going to be a show you do not want to miss. Yeah. Don't and get in your bed. Don't get in your bed. Don't go to don't. an extra long lunch or dinner. Not lunch. Stupid. Um, don't do not do this, that, or the other. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to just go. Just go. Go there. If you live outside the state, I'll give you a break. Live stream it. That's Live not a break. That Live ain't a break. Stream. Tune in. Tune in. Live stream. You ain't got to show up at Morgan, but live stream it. Watch it. Where are you going? Nowhere. Watch it. Y'all ain't and doing also, that anyway. <laughs> ain't. <laughs> but I just want to also say, um, I was going through their Facebook page and I saw that they are also, they're they're promoting, um, I, I don't think this is actually them who are doing it, but they're promoting it. Um, a student diversity training that's happening, that's open to all the CODA students at KSU. All right. First of all, Great that this is happening. They have a black woman, Dr. Joniqua Williams, presenting for this as well, right? Um, this should be mandatory for all students. It should be mandatory for all faculty. It should be mandatory for all staffs. Because let me say something. It's not just the students who are doing some of these things. It's I, not just the students who need to be in these training. Honestly, it's first probably- all, I don't even think it's the students. At first, the students, as a teacher, I can see this. Because number one, our students know more stuff about how to accept people and, and everything more than us older, the people who are supposed to be Because they got teachers. these things in their hands. And right. that's been in their hands since they were babies. Yeah. So they have grown. And I was telling my students the other day, I was like, y'all's generation, y'all have a lot more, way more accepting, way more open um, than even my, and I'm just one above y'all and they just before. They yeah. just don't care. They're but like, this, this little sensitive, the, the sensitivity mm. training and diversity training, this needs to be for faculty. For faculty. For yeah, staff, because it's y'all who are making these dumb ass decisions. It's y'all. Okay. Was accompanied with a bias training, mm -hmm. so we can all realize we actually have biases. And Everyone if you, does. If you say you don't, my fickle finger of fate will find you. You do. You do. Because everybody does. <laughs> my fickle finger of fate. That was wild. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm honest. Like, Lauren has one. Anthony has one. I have one. And we had to work it out of us. Absolutely. Like, I. I finally discovered mine two years ago when mm -hmm. I first started my new degree. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I do have this. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me change because that's not that's not fair to them. Mm -hmm. That's not fair to the community that I was biased against, mm -hmm. which 
Might not surprise you because straight, like gay men, gay white men have a certain bias toward, um, yeah. Find your bias. Find your wall bias. Get better on your bias. Ain't gonna be, be gender bias. You say you're accepting, but you're not. I did that. Also, also if you want to talk, you can be biased against a community that you're a part of. Okay? Oh, oh, we've seen a lot of that. Candace Owens. <clears throat> Uh, what's what's the only, what's the only yeah. son name? What's what's his name? Oh, Herschel Walker's son. Yeah. Him, him. You really, you really <laughs> Candace Owens and him are and the him. extreme cases, but don't turn into them because you can, and you'll be a bitter old queen. Don't do it. Don't do Just it. Just hating your life and hating your job. But you know, you know, there's some students who do need this training. There's some students who need a lot of training. Correct. About how to act in the professional world, how to act in the world in general. Um, and some professors, but let's not go there. Um, let's not go there. Uh, but I will say now, don't get it wrong. Students still need to be a part of this because there are still some students who need this as well. But really, uh, it should be mandatory that all the faculty and staff. Even the administrators, like all the way up. Mm. To the dean of the College of the Fine Arts, to Here all the way down to the newest freshman that is like the, the really working hard. Mm. All everybody. the adjuncts, if they're on that campus that day, everybody should be there, no mm. matter what your status is or what your pay grade is. Right. You, just, you need it. You need it. Even if you need a check in, like, oh, let me just, but no, you need it. You need to be there because this woman, amazing, and her specialty is curriculum. Diversity within and, the curriculum. And also, like, as a person who is from diverse backgrounds, I even learn stuff in these sessions. Exactly. So if I learn something, you will too. So let's not. Um, but to just change the course of things uh, a little bit back to Jimmy, I will have to say one thing I was proud of, and this goes to a band that we, um, we got... Uh, introduced to a new composer mm. um, this month in which reading uh, his story really infuriated me um, to a point because just first of all, born, born enslaved, number one. Um, but, but before I go there, I would like to just take my, 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 uh, praise to Central Carroll High School because they actually performs um, one of uh, his pieces and the composer, his name is Thomas Green Bethune. Um, he also went by Blind Tom. Um, he was actually the first person to perform at the White House. First African-American. Um, first African-American. First African-American to perform at the uh, White House. He was a blind uh, slave. He was enslaved blind man also his white uh massa uh exploited his talents uh and that was only making money he saw he saw that uh uh this young boy had immense talent uh even mark twain said that he was better uh a blind tom was better than mozart um saw that he had talent toured him around the country mark twain saw him three times saying that he's better than Mozart at the White House. And what really made me mad in this little story is that 
the government itself declared after, mind you, slavery was abolished in 1865. His master, Colonel, uh, uh, I think it was Colonel Bethune, uh, he he filed a lawsuit or whatever he did. Um, and basically the government declared that Blind Tom was an idiot and nothing but a circus freak. So that Colonel Bethune could still tour him around and exploit his talents to get money. That is very, very disgusting. There's a lot, That's like, the, if you have never heard of um, Blind Tom Wiggins or Thomas Bethune, Thomas Green Bethune, go read about it. It's so, it's interesting to know that there's so much of this, our history, like black history, black music history that we don't even know about. Because I will have to say just last week, I heard a professor with a doctorate say that William Grant still was the first African-American to perform at the White House. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, all I'm saying is that not knowing our history and suppressing this history, having our history underrepresented, it goes for, it calls for wrong education or what, you know what I mean? It's it's just, it's wrong information. It's inaccurate information. So be careful what you're saying out there to your students, because right here on the whitehousehistory.org is blind piano prodigy Thomas Green Bethune, the first African-American artist to perform at the White House, right there for you, right there for you. And that goes back to what I said earlier, like, how much music has been lost because so it much has either just not been talked about or not performed and everything. Here's a legit story that has not been talked about. And now we are crediting William Grant still as being the first African-American to perform. But you know what? <laughs> let's let's read through the, the lines here because William Grant still might have been the first free black man to perform at the White House, while Blind Tom was an enslaved Black man, which at the time was counted less than human. Mm. But it was more than life. Like he could play this dang piano and uh, write, and write, it wasn't no um, X plus B equals Y melodies that we hear from some uh, Western classical composers. Mm. Um, yeah. But I think that, I think that's it, Anthony. I think people nowadays, especially after all this talk, are scared of um, the word slavery and scared mm -hmm. of looking back on that and scared of like anything dealing with that. So maybe that might be it. I, that might I, be why some people have disassociated that memory and like associated with William Grant Still. William Grant Still is amazing. William Grant Still is a wonderful composer and a beautiful musician. Don't get any of us wrong. But it might be easier for some people to accept. The thing about it is the reason why it's so much easier, maybe more pal palpable to talk about William Grant Still and not talk about Blind Tom Wiggins um, is because of all you're going to have to talk about when you talk about um, Thomas Bethune. You're going to have to talk about all this, right? Because I'm about to read um, a little bit of General James Bethune and John Bethune introduce Blind Tom, verbatim. Here he is, the amazing Blind Tom. He's pitched in darkness, exalted through sound. He's mastered sharp and flat of piano, a slave whose head is a trunk full of song, peeling from each deaf fingertip. We found a musical freak, a brown tornado, 
a maestro who conjures three tunes at once, a storm that brings lightning, thunder, and rain, a far cry from the fields his kin slaved. He is like a one-man band. The chattels become filled with light of music, his brains besotted with syncopation. He seems unlocked by 88 keys to sing out, jingling with joy, the way an angel gets blessed in the thrall of some idiot god, raptured into tongues. Tom is beyond doubt, winged past sorrow, each note pulled from his head, sprung from some holy dark place that got burnished by fate and delivered by songs. We present to you, Mr. Wiggins, Old Blind Tom. Okay, this really sounds like they're introducing a circus animal or circus act. Sounds like Barnum and Bailey's. It really does. Like, just, I don't... (sighs) Also... Just a little bit more backstory. Um, so originally, and oh, also let's just say, Blind Tom was born in Georgia and around Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia. Um, so Columbus. he was originally born to another slave family before the Bethune family. Um, but when the original slave owner um, saw that um, Tom was blind. He he tried to kill him by giving him no food, no clothing, or anything uh, that because he felt like he was invaluable. He wasn't going to help the rest of the slaves tend to whatever plantation or in the house. So um, his mother, first of all, had off to black women, always, always black women because his uh, mother. Um, I don't know how this happened, but the the slave owner put the whole family up for auction, which is un- which is unlikely at the time because usually what would happen is the family would be split up. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. let's real talk about slavery here. The family would have been split up, but they were put on both Tom's mother, father, and Tom were all put at an auction. First of all, auctioning off human beings. Mm. Um, uh, they sold the mother and the father, uh, Bethune took both of them, but they actually didn't put a a price on Tom Mm. free of cost because was labeled. He was considered worthless, worthless, invaluable, grotesque, meaning nothing. But you know what? Just like that. First of all, this boy, he, Tom had a calling. He had a calling because number one, he he would be around the plantation and he would hear the, the white children, um, Bethune's children, taking piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bethune allowed him to play the piano. And basically whatever he had heard them playing, he was able to do it. No actual piano lesson he was able to play. And also, it was it was uh, reported that he, when he was younger, he would hear the bird calls and he would mimic the bird calls. Um, so my my thing is, here's a person who could hear melodies and hear all these different things and play them back just like he heard them, but we're calling this person an idiot, a circus freak. Well, you also know, like now, still, Western classical musicians look down on anybody who can't read music and can only learn from rote. Mm. Yep. Mm. 
which is crazy to me. Like, if I could do that, I would be unstoppable. I'm sorry. Real. If I didn't have to depend on cheap music. <laughs> I'm unstoppable. Play me a 20 minute clip. I'll play it back. That's and, wild. And it is just, this story really made me angry. Mm-hmm. It really made me angry because this blind Tom was a musical genius. Mm-hmm. But because of the time that he was in, his passion was misguided, was exploited. And on that exploitation, I just want to read this clip or this um quote from, I believe, his uh his great granddaughter, uh, um, Taisha Dinell Wiggins. My greatest grandfather was the first African-American to perform at the White House. Not only was he blind, but he was autistic. He is referenced as the 167th most famous autistic person in the world. Throughout this, his life, he toured Great Britain, Scotland, Europe, Canada, the Rocky Mountain States, the Far West, and South America. By 1861, my greatest grandfather was giving prestigious performances, such as one in Washington, D.C., for the first Japanese diplomats to visit the United States. He performed for the likes of Mark Twain, and he earned his slave owners a fortune of $750,000, bringing home $50,000 per year, in which reports claim that he gave it all to charity, charity being his owners. Did you hear that last part? In which reports claim that he gave it all to charity, charity being his owners. Mm. That's the part that I had to get to. So, just for just to put this in today's money, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in eighteen sixty is equivalent to twenty five million dollars today. Rich. This man. That's generational wealth. People don't understand generational wealth. People throw that word around. That is your family until 2045 ain't got to work. That's what pisses me off about people who say, you. if I could do it, you could do it. Wrong. Because if you have financial backing by your family, if you just have legacy money, like I, I like people say legacy money, like, like oh, it's just, no, 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 legacy money. Because all that money, where did you think it came from? Where do you think it came from? So if you had that, what did my people have? What do we have to get our leg up to go do this? And then you expect us to do the same exact thing that you're doing, the same exact work, and it'll be fine. First of all, think about blind Tom Wiggins' family today. With $750,000 then... Think about the way his family could be set up right now. Actually, and I, and I, I don't know this, but are, do they still live in Columbus? Mm. Mm. Because they should be running Columbus. Mm. They could own Columbus with this money. Absolutely, absolutely. What'd you say? How many million? Twenty-five million. Actually, the correct answer is $25,192,951.81. I'm sorry. Even if they even if they put $20 million of that in a high-risk interest thing, they could live off of interest alone every year. Can you imagine? Where are their reparations? Can you, can you imagine? I almost cussed again. Can you imagine if... 
the money that 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 he actually gained by performing if it would have went to him and his family imagine the things that could have been done for the black community in columbus during that time and music black it, music because i bet there's a lot of people like us three never heard of him before gma nope i didn't I saw him on that little program. I took a little picture because a concert was about to start and read it. And I was like, wow. Mm. So That's first cool. of all, thank you, uh, Neil Ruby and Courtney Zarella, because they were the people who pr uh, programmed this piece. This is why programming matters. On on their, on their concert at the GMEA conference. Uh, so first of all, thank you. And who, and if it wasn't y'all to whoever gave you this piece, whatever, thank you. Because this is why it is important. This is why programming matters. This is why I say for the spirituals that we talked about earlier, don't let this just go away. Mm. Because this is why history needs to be talked about. The correct history and not whitewashed. Stop feeling, well, you know, actually living your guiltiness. Live in that. You feel should. That we everybody should. You have to live. I said. I think I said this. Like when we, if you <laughs> go watch the podcast from GMA. But I said this. Like uh, during the session, I said until you admit mistake and admit fault, you will never grow. Until you admit that you are a bad educator, you are a white educator and you taught white music you will never get better and your students will never experience what they should experience in your classroom or if you don't admit it and you start doing those things it's inauthentic they will see right through it because these kids nowadays they see everything they do so stop being inauthentic admit your mistakes even if you have to go in the bathroom sit in a bubble bath by yourself and cry admit them just do it. You don't have to do it in front of people, but you need to admit your mistakes between you and your conscience. Because after after all these years, I'm telling you, in 2025, we will really understand if this is not a trend or not, and this becomes in our industry. But for between now and then, it is between you and your conscience, and depends on how much you can live with. So before before we end the podcast, we do we would like to play you um, a little snippet uh, of. Line Tom Wiggins uh, piece, Bella of Manassas, um, such a beautiful work. And for musicologists and, musicologists and musicians out there, really understand what he's doing in, that in this piece because it is a true work of art, a true work of art.
So if that was not enough for you, we have put the link in our show notes and you can go listen to all of it and, you know, research it. Just listen to it over and over and over because I don't know if you caught it, but I caught some stuff, especially the ch-ch-ch, which you didn't hear. So go listen. And also the battle itself, the Battle of Manassas, or Battle of First Manassas, was the first Battle of Bull Run. That may be a, a title that most of you actually recognize from history and everything. Um, this is the first major battle of the American Civil War, um, and this was fought in Virginia, um, a few 30 miles southwest, west-southwest of Washington, D.C. So this is the the battle he was depicting in this piece. Mm-hmm. And what you can hear... Um, especially in the left-hand base, you hear the the bombs, the guns going on. And you hear there are the cluster kind of chords, I guess you would say they are, but they're really, this is a battle. But in the right hand, you have like the Yankee Doodle, you have the Dixie, uh, uh, um, calls. yeah, the trumpet calls, you hear it. So first off, back to him being a musical genius, he heard this mm. and he was able to play it. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I would have heard this. Would have been like, I don't. Is this a C? Is this a B flat? What? What is it? Ha ha. Yeah, ha, ha. had to have the Mariah Carey put it in the left ear. Just trying to. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, he heard this and gave music. So the masterpiece that this is. And, mm-hmm. and another one other thing before before we go is how much music of his that is lost. It's probably so much. We always talk about Western classical European music that's lost. But what about our own music? Mm. That was uh, made by non-white Americans. Mm. But I will have to say, Black history, Black history, African-American history is American history. It's American history. Because we were here. We were Americans at this point. It is your history. So this whole differentiation, wasn't there something that happened on YouTube, or I think it was something that happened, um, that Mitch McConnell, which we all know how much I love Mitch McConnell, um, said something in an interview saying, when he was talking about black Americans and Americans, he made a differentiation saying black Americans and Americans. Let's just kind of, let's talk about that for a second. Black Americans, Americans. Default for him of Americans, when he thinks about an American, he sees a white American. Is what he, what I got from that, what everybody else who caught that tea when he had the interview, what he said. Black Americans, Americans. There is no differentiation. There shouldn't be, but there is because they make it. They make those barriers and make those borders, and that is what happens. So then we are seen as not just Americans, we're seen as Black Americans, as African Americans. Mm-hmm. I digress. But on that, our topic is nowhere to be over. Mm-mm. Nowhere in the middle. This will be talked about for a very, very long time. And best believe we are gonna keep our, our heel on the neck of this topic. I like that. What kind of heel we wearing? Stiletto. We rocking stilettos. So I will have to say, Relative Pitch celebrates Black history 24-7, 365 days a year. Mm. So while we're using this as a way to highlight 
all the amazing black musicians and black uh, them and black composers who we want to talk about this month know that that's not it that's not it if it's not because for me i think about black music black musicians 24 7. 24 7. because uh we were rocking um an amazing work by a new age composer kevin day we were rocking his concerto like it was pop music in our car on the way to gma because it is because it is we will rock anything i will and if you did not tune into our gba conference please Mm. go back watch the previous episode fully watch this episode and let us hear what you have to say down below because we said some real hot topics today and i want to know what you got to say so please um again thank you for listening and we'll see you next week have a good black history month Bye. bye